0: Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. Can you guys hear me? Sweet. Praise God this morning. I am so excited to be here. I am so overwhelmed by God's goodness. I'm thankful for your faith this morning as followers of Jesus. Um, I don't know. Do you guys remember me from a couple months ago? (laughs) Sweet, sweet. And so, yeah, I don't know if you would, but I have been thinking about you guys for two months straight, praying for you guys Wanting to get back here for two months and trying to, to play it cool with Gordon, not letting on that I, I really want to be here. So yeah, the first time I came out, I didn't know what to expect. Um, all I had seen was your website, our website now, and loved the theology, loved the philosophy. Everything made sense. I talked to Gordon on the phone. It's like, dude, we, we're on the same page. We're speaking the same language here. Yeah, I will definitely come out and preach of course, there was a couple of things I wasn't prepared for that Sunday, the first being it was 114 degrees, <laughs> and yeah, I guess it was record-breaking from what I understand, and the other part of that was I wasn't prepared for you guys to steal my heart, and that is what happened that morning. I did not have that expectation, and I remember driving back over the, the grapevine, um, talking to my wife on Bluetooth and just saying, these people are Awesome. They are loving. They are a legit family. They're such a good family there. And man, it would be wonderful if they were our family. I talked to Gordon that Monday, just sort of summarizing what happened over that weekend. It's like, what did you think? I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how many people you're interviewing or what the pastor is going to be, but whoever goes there, they're going to be set. Oh my gosh, do they have amazing people to work with to start there? That being said, like I'm trying to play it cool, so I'm just cautiously op- optimistic every time Gordon calls me, just, yeah, I'll take your call, yeah, we could Zoom, sure, you know, you want to come out and visit me and my family and my church, yeah, we, we can do that, and so all that to say, just getting to this morning, I am so overwhelmed and excited to be here, thankful for you guys, thankful for God's goodness and being able to serve you this morning. Having said, said that, um, putting together a message this morning was a little difficult, like finding a passage, like, God, please give me a passage that I could, that I could share with them where I could introduce myself, kind of talk about my philosophy, so you guys get to know me, but also a passage that isn't really about me, because it's not about me, so give me a passage where I could introduce myself, but have it be about the Bible, and I, God has been faithful in selecting this verse, I believe, which is Acts twenty twenty eight. if you guys want to turn there. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and this is about a transition in ministry, like elders about to take over. It talks about what elders are and how God sees them and what their purpose is. And so I think this is just a great verse to look into. We'll also be going through a little bit more of Acts chapter 20 and Ezekiel 34 as we go along, but let me start by praying for us. Heavenly Father, you know my heart, um, I just want to pass out with joy right now, and so I got to get my nerves under control. Uh, I, I already love this, this group of people, um, just like you do. I know you care for your church, as we're going to see, and you love Vanguard Bible Church, Lord, and I ask that as we come to your word, that we would see what your heart is um, for how it is to be run um, because of your heart, Lord, and that we would learn from this and, and apply this sincerely, Lord. May our service uh, make much of Jesus, make much of you, and may this be a morning where uh, this community is going to be transformed, and this is going to be the beginning of just Bakersfield being in awe of Jesus and coming and repenting and loving Jesus um, for who he's worth, Lord. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. It says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This is such a rich verse. Like this is like four or five sermons worth of verses, right? Just in this one verse. But three things I want us to look at right off the bat. Who is talking here? Who is he talking to and why is he talking to them? And for that, we're going to go back just a couple verses to verses 16 and 17 of this chapter where it says, For Paul, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Meletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And so, yeah, that's nice. We know right off the bat, so it's Paul talking, right? Paul, rock star of the New Testament. Paul talks, we listen. These these elders are going to listen. And it's kind of interesting here. Why does Paul not want to go to Ephesus? But he wants to talk to the elders there. And so what we find in Acts is everybody loves Paul. If Paul comes to your town, like you want to hang out with him. You want to wine him, dine him, pray with him, have him teach you the word. And you don't want to let him go. So as as he's going through these towns, they're like holding on to him. Paul, don't go. And so at this point, Paul's like, no, I I want to be in Jerusalem by Pentecost. And so for me to do that, I can't stop at all these churches. I will never get anywhere. It'll be next Pentecost before I actually get to Jerusalem. And so that's why he calls these elders to Meletus. It's like, here, you guys come meet me. This will be the easier way to go. Now, one thing I want to point out here in verse 17, and I think this is huge, huge this morning. I don't want to miss it because we shouldn't. We can't miss this, is that Paul calls the elders, right? So elders with the plural. And so Paul has spent three years in Ephesus building these guys up, finding qualified elders, making them ready to lead this church when he departs, like he's about to. And I say that this morning, it's kind of weird. Why would I bring that up? Uh, Well, it's because, let's say I'm here and I do an amazing job shepherding you. I am an elder. I exceed all your wildest expectations. I am just the best elder that's ever come here. It's not enough. For this church to be its God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, Spirit-led best, we have to move forward knowing the ideal way to do that biblically is by having multiple eldership. And so this morning, again, as a pastor, I am an elder. Uh, We have Jacob serving with us as an elder. We have Gordon, who's been an elder all the way from Chicago, doing a great job, even from that far away, right? And so we have men here who I I believe in, that that we can do this and we could lead this the right direction. But having said that, all the rest of you men here, and I've met, I think I've met most of you, you guys are awesome. As we go through this this morning and we look at what an elder is, what they do, and God's heart for this, be thinking about it, be praying about it. Is this something you want to do? This morning, if you feel something stirring inside you, like, let's talk about that. I hope the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you this morning. And it is. It's a process. It really is. But I I am here to go through that with you. And if you love Jesus and you're following Jesus, you're already on that trajectory. So just keep that in mind, men, this morning as we go through this. All right, so back to Paul. Why, Why is Paul gathering all the elders? He's gathering the elders of Ephesus up. And we see this in verses 25 through 27 same chapter 20 and now behold i know that none of you among whom i have gone about preaching the kingdom will see my face again therefore i testify to you this day that i am innocent of the blood of all for i did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of god so this is sad right this is goodbye for paul and these elders like this is it Paul has trained them up, but now Paul is going to leave them. No more having lunch with Paul, dinners, no more Paul preaching at that church. The elders are going to have to take over now. And so it's in light of that, now that we know that, that these are parting words, that he's never going to see their face again. He's going to write them because we have the letter of Ephesus, we know, which is a great book. But this is it. And so now, knowing the weightiness of this, let's read 2028 again. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So these are final instructions to these guys. And it is such an interesting place to start. I don't think this is where we would start if we were talking about our elders. If we were talking about our elders, we would give them a list of things that we would want them to do for the church, right? Here's your expectations for you guys to get this stuff done. And yet the first thing Paul says is, examine yourselves. Pay careful attention to yourselves. The first responsibility of an elder is to their own household. And this makes sense because, after all, they are part of the flock. Elders are part of God's flock, and so they must be taken care of. Somebody has to take care of them. This also makes sense considering that elders have qualifications, right? So they, they have to examine their lives because there is qualifications that they have to meet. They have to lead with a certain example and without an ego. Now, it doesn't say here in this verse like what those qualifications are because he's, Paul's already told them for three years what those expectations were. But for us this morning, just so we know, I want to go to 1 Timothy 3 where Paul is telling Timothy what kind of men to consider for eldership. And, and the, the People, guys in Ephesus that he's talking to, they've already met these qualifications. But in 1 Timothy 3, if you want to turn there, I believe it's 1 through 7, it says this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So, guys, that's to you guys. Be thinking and praying about that. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober minded, self controlled, respectable hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, or if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so this is a long list, right? And this is what your elders should be. This is what your pastors should be. And so for the past two months, this is what Gordon has been doing. He's been using this grid to determine if I, James, actually pay attention to my life. Is this what my life looks like? And if you don't know Gordon, just so you know, he is the kind of guy who will call your references. He will have long conversations with them. And he will actually go out and visit them. And it's the right thing to do. This is serious stuff. I mean, this is so serious stuff. And I'm thankful that Gordon has helped you to do that. And I mentioned this is serious stuff. I mean, being really serious here, I think that we would all agree there's nothing more heartbreaking and infuriating when, when you have leaders in ministry who are abusive right? Like sexual abuse, sexual sin, affairs, or being demeaning, violent, abusive to their people. That should never be a thing. It's a horrible example to the church and to the world. It drives people away or people just don't ever come to begin with. It's not the way things are supposed to work. And part of that problem, as Paul mentions here, is that it's an ego. It's being puffed up. It's loving money, you know, a lot of pride and thinking more of themselves than they ought to. And I know many people who have gone to seminary who, when they graduate, they come out and they think like they have arrived or ascended even. They've ascended like they are just so hyper, super spiritual and you need to respect them because they have that degree and they know more than you. And it's horrible and wrong, and you don't have to. A seminary education is a gift that should be passed on to people. It's a responsibility. It's not to be lorded over people. It's, it's, it's to win people to the Lord. That's, you gain tools to bring people to the Lord and get people excited about the Lord. And maybe right now some of you might be thinking, James, well, you seem pretty angry about this. You seem pretty quick to anger about this whole situation. which I would say, no, not at all. This has been a consistent simmer for years. I am zealous for the name of the Lord. I don't like God's people being abused, especially with people who have knowledge and should know better. And look, there's people who are gifted, much more gifted than me in understanding the metaphysical, the theological, Who writes books, great thinkers and teachers, and they stir my soul. They help me love Jesus. They teach me more about the Bible. They're such a gift to the church. That doesn't make somebody an elder, does not qualify someone to be a shepherd in the local church. Give me, like Paul says here, give me somebody who's hospitable. That's what I want. I want somebody who not just loves the Word of God, but loves God's people, who wants to live with God's people, know you, be with you in your lives, love you and support you and lead you like their own family because they are. That's a shepherd. That's something I love about the core values of Five Stones Churches: character before gifting. Right? Amen. Character before gifting. Yes. Value the one who pays close attention to his own life and his own family first before he goes and ruins everybody else's. Gifting is not enough. And so the pastor, the elder, must pay close attention, as Paul says here, to their own life. Are you qualified? It's a serious list here. Are you qualified? Pay close attention because... Are you still qualified a year from now? Are you still qualified two years from now? You can be disqualified, and some people should be disqualified. And also, it brings us back to the plurality of elders. Why is it important to have multiple elders? Because, I mean, elders have issues sometimes. We struggle like everybody else, and it's so much much more helpful to say, to have somebody point out to me, James, hey, I don't know if you see this, but I hear you saying these words I see this posture and being able to call me out on it or me being able to call somebody else on it. Hey, we're elders. We have a high expectation. How are you treating your family? How are you treating your coworkers? And so we get to call each other out. And I think that is so healthy for leadership and the church. And just one more thing regarding the responsibility of the elders and this space to introspect and really pay close attention is that as a church you need to know that your pastor needs the gospel every day too. Your pastor needs to hear the gospel of Jesus every single day just like you do. And make sure that they do. Make sure that I do. So many pastors burn out. I don't know if you've heard statistics. A lot of pastors burn out within three years from their first pastorate because their devotion life goes away. They get so busy Their own personal devotional life goes away to do church stuff. And we can't do that. We can't give what we don't have. I can't give what I don't have. And so my encouragement to you is lean in and bug me about it. Lean into the awkward with me and just don't be afraid to ask me how my heart is. James, how's your devotional life? How are you doing? Because that's going to benefit all of us. You hold me accountable to make sure my life is what it should be. It's going to benefit all of us. So why do that? Why do the elders look inward? It's so they can look outward, right? Look at the flock. And we see this in 28, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. What does that look like? What does it look like to pay attention to the flock? And for this, we're going to stay all inside chapter 20 right here. And I'm going to share my shepherding philosophy, which I've used for about the last decade. And if it sounds very familiar, it's almost exactly what uh, five stones, the same verbiage, the same uh, rules that they go by, that we go by. And so in verse 28, again, it says, pay careful attention to the flock, which I believe means first off, know the flock. You cannot pay attention to anything if you don't know what you're supposed to pay attention to, right? Somebody tells you to pay attention to something, you say, pay attention to what? What? And so what's the flock? So you have to know who your flock is. And this is a two-way relationship. You guys have to know who I am. You need to find me to have integrity and authenticity and trust me and let me lead you and serve you. And practically speaking, and I think this is the exciting part for me about this season of the church, is like, this is where we get to know each other. Like, that's what we're supposed to be doing right now. And so Spending time together face-to-face, side-by-side, hanging out, praying together, worshiping together. Let's really get to know each other. What do you do for a living? What do you like? What do you love? What do you hate? And of course, you know, what do you struggle with? Where are you at? What are your dreams? I care about all those things. I have a lot of work ahead of me, (laughs) but I'm so excited to do this you know, when we know each other, we can pay close attention to each other. And not in a creepy way, like, I'm not going to creep on you guys. Not in a creepy way, not in an obnoxious, bugging you way, like harassing you. But just in a way so that when I pray every day, when I go before the Lord, I could say, I know these sheep. There's nobody, at some point, I want to be able to look at everybody's face. I know them. I know what they're struggling with. I know how to pray for them. And that's my goal. That's my expectation, to know you that well, so that I can go before the Lord, not ashamed as a shepherd. Now, this also allows us to encourage each other. And just so you know, uh, we're going to be a church that encourages each other. It's going to be insane. It's going to be... I don't know if I'd say annoying, but we're going to encourage each other and love each other and build each other up in the Lord to become more like Christ, which is what we're called to, and it's going to be the best version of us, and it's going to be great. Now, I wanted to read to you uh, something this week. Um, I was doing devotions this week, like I should, and I was reading a book called The Reformed Pastor um, by Richard Baxter. It's a Puritan classic, Um, and he actually had a commentary on this verse, like this week, so praise God. It sounds very Puritanish, so but I think this is wonderful. It sums it up so well. "'Take heed to all the flock. It is, you see, all the flock, or every individual member of our charge. To this end, it is necessary that we should, every person, we should know every person that belongeth to our charge. For how can we take heed to them if we do not know them? We must labor, labor to be acquainted, not only with the persons, but with the state of all our people.'" with their inclinations and conversations? What are the sins of which they are most in danger? And what duties are they most apt to neglect? And what temptations they are most liable to? For if we know not their temperament or disease, we are not likely to prove successful physicians. And that was encouraging to me this week. And that's the way I want to get to know you guys. Get to, get to know you enough to love you where you are and help you in Christ get to where he wants you to go. And so before finishing verse 28, I want to skip to verses 29 and go a little bit ahead and continue to look at what it means to pay close attention to the flock, because I think Paul, right in this text, has some great examples. And so in verse 29, it says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And so the second thing we see here after knowing the flock is protecting the flock, right? You got to protect the flock. And of course, you know, your, your regular everyday shepherds, they are used to protecting from literal wolves, right? Protect the sheep from wolves. And I'd like to think if literal actual wolves came in this door that I would try to protect you. I don't know how successful I could be at that, but I would try. But of course, Paul here, he says he's talking about men, men who are wolves their words are going to tear them apart destroy the flock and so the thrust of paul's warning is about theology bad theology false gospels pointing to other gods which in ephesus is everywhere there's cults and spiritual leaders everywhere a lot of it has to do with money as you see through the book of acts and it's really dangerous place spiritually a lot of wolves everywhere and so today what that means i believe as an elder is watching over what you guys are intaking. What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you being influenced by? The world is a much more complex place. It's bombarding you with all this crazy information, especially labeled Christian. You know, I've fallen for a lot of it too over the years. And it doesn't mean I'm going to tell you who to listen to, what to think, believe, or anything like that, but I am going to watch out. If I see somebody reading something, you know, it's it's always a hard conversation, but I will tell you that that's not a path you want to go down. That's a wolf. That's not going to lead you to Jesus. Even cultural and political concepts in our world, they will undermine your loyalty to Jesus. They will compromise your discipleship with Jesus. And so a shepherd has to protect against that. You don't want to talk about harder conversations than than theological conversations. Try talking about politics. And I've seen it over the last couple of years. I think we talked about it last time I was here. A shepherd has to love you guys enough to say, oh, whoa, where's Christ here on your priorities and your philosophies? How does that work? A shepherd has to do that. Make sure that Jesus is our shepherd, is our good shepherd, than the priority so don't we, we don't get eaten up by wolves. And so what does it look like when sheep are not protected? For that, we're going to turn to Ezekiel 34. If you want to turn there, I'll give you a second. Because we're going to go there twice, Ezekiel chapter 34. And if you're not familiar with Ezekiel chapter 34, it's like how not to shepherd. Like this is the bad example. This is like watching YouTube fail videos. This is like don't do Ezekiel 34. And so it says here in Ezekiel 34, verses 5 and 6, where God is speaking through Ezekiel, talking to the shepherds of Israel, he says this, So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They, were wandered, they wandered all over the mountains and on every high heel, hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And I hope what you get out of this is yes, a bad example of being a shepherd, but do you see God's heart? Do you see God's heart for his people, how he wants them to be shepherded? God is upset. I could use different words, but God is not happy at the way these shepherds are acting. His people are devoured and scattered. Just like Paul is saying they're going to be in Acts. And notice that they weren't searched after or sought. Even after it happens, which it doesn't say it here, but I'm led to believe that these shepherds didn't know their flock. Because after they were attacked, after they were being torn to pieces, they didn't even go look for them. They probably didn't even know who to go look for. And so the shepherds know the sheep, they protect the sheep. And as we will see in Acts 20, 31, they will lead the sheep. In verse 31, it says this, therefore be alert that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And so you have the shepherd who protects, right? Gets sheep out of danger. Like job number one of a shepherd, get the sheep out of danger. But the other thing is lead them somewhere. Like it's not enough just to keep people safe. It's like you got to lead them somewhere. So where are you going and so Paul here is telling them, be alert, right? Be alert, guys. Game on. Like, right now, everything changes. Like, Paul has, has had some oversight for three years now, and now it's going to be the elders taking over. Guys, this is game on. This is time to be alert. Remember how I admonished you. Remember how I cried with you. And I think this is the possible unfamiliar word for us this morning, right? Admonish. It reminds me of parenting a lot. And so with admonishing, it's being firm. It's reprimanding firmly but lovingly. Like you have to do it. You can't not do it. And it must be done, but also gently. It's not to be mean. It's not to exercise power. It's for your good. You know, I know children here, you know, teenagers are like, that's not the way it feels. That's not the way it feels, James. You know, but as parents, our heart is to love you guys and lead you guys the right direction. And so for the shepherd of the church today, I believe what this looks like most often is discipleship. You know, you could also throw biblical counseling in there. Working side by side where the shepherd is earnestly talking to you, "Hey, I see this in your life. Do you see this in your life? This is what God has for you. This is what God lays out in his word." This is what we're supposed to aim for. We need to do this. You need to stop this action and do this action. And it's a very hard part of leadership. It's a very hard part of of being a shepherd and an elder is just telling people in love that you're on their side, but also asking them to change their heart, to change their mind, to be more Christ-like. Now, the one example I remember all through seminary of admonishment, and I think this is like the best like, uh, way to look at admonishment, is in Genesis 4, 6, and 7. It's a great example, and I'm sure you guys remember this story, where the Lord is talking to Cain, and the Lord says to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but, but you must rule over it. And so this is interesting. This is the Lord talking to Cain, and Cain, we know, has an issue, right? He, he's in a sinful place, and the Lord is, isn't saying, it's going to be all right. I'm your co-pilot, you know, hashtag blessed. I mean, nothing, nothing that's going to overlook the fact that Cain has something going on, right? He, that he needs to change. And so the Lord is saying to Cain, dude, like, look, you're upset. Obviously, you're upset about something, But we know what you're upset about. You're upset because you did the wrong thing. So here's how you fix it. You do the right thing. And if you do the right thing, everything's going to be cool. And if you don't, it's just going to get worse. And so I think that's a great example of admonishment, just loving you enough just to point stuff out and say, "This this is what Christ has for you. This is the route to go. And sometimes it means having a hard conversation. You know, I, I have many, I had many conversations like that over the years. And I've found, especially with depression, um, anxiety, fear, stuff like that, that so often what's required is repentance. And I know that does, it doesn't sound like the first thing that any of us would think about. Oh, the answer is I need to repent of something? I'm already feeling bad. Don't tell me I need to repent of something. And yet when you repent of that negative action, those negative thoughts, that's where you get the space to grow and to find that joy and to meet Christ. But that repentance has to be called for by a shepherd who, is, who knows you and loves you and you trust them and you respect them, right? It has to be, you have to have that. Otherwise, you're not going to listen to them. Now, in this chapter, it doesn't mention every aspect of leadership. Although I do believe a shepherd leads, it doesn't talk about edifying here or building up. There's so much to to leading a church. But the next thing it does mention, and I think this is huge, and this is a big thing I'm a fan of, uh, like literally and biblically, and that's food. And so in verse 32, it says this, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up And give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, this is the truth. Like, this is the truth. It would do no good. It would do no good if I knew every one of you awesomely. If I protected you, no harm comes to you. I lead you where you need to go. And then I just let you starve to death. Right? It's pointless. Like, what's the point of that? Of course, that's not what an elder wants. You want to feed the sheep. And Paul here says, go to the word of God. You guys want to be built up. You need energy. You know, I mean, these people in Ephesus, I mean, they're fighting a war spiritually, you know, and politically. They needed energy. They needed hope. And the only place to get that is through the word of God. You know, I can't give that to you. All I'm going to do is point you to Jesus. Like, I got nothing for you except Jesus, Jesus, go to Jesus. Let's go to his word. That's where we're going to find our strength That's where we're going to be sanctified. That's where we're going to have genuine hope. And so I think now the most practical and obvious way for that is, as a shepherd, is Sunday morning, right? We go through the Word of God Sunday mornings, you know, verse by verse, chewing on each verse, eating that awesome Word of God, being edified, being admonished, being encouraged in the Lord, hearing the gospel, hearing about the glory of Christ, but also it means after Sunday morning. What is discipleship going to look like for us? What is Bible study going to look like for us? How about when we get together to hang out, which I, I know we will, but we need to use all that time and all that space to eat the Word of God, to devour the Word of the Lord. The Bible is a feast. I truly believe that. And as, as a preacher, well, the way I approach it is, I, I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant of like um, maybe a type of food you've never eaten before. Like I remember the first time I had sushi. I'd never eaten sushi because what do you, how do you even approach that, right? You don't, I don't know what to order, but I went with somebody who explained to me, oh, this is the way you do this. This is what you start with. This is this sauce. And it makes sense. And so as a preacher, when we come to this Feast of the Word, I believe it's the responsibility to explain to you guys, to take one verse, like twenty twenty-eight, and like, guys, let's break this off. Let's chew on this. Let's eat this part. Let's chew on this part. What does this look like? What do we season this with? And to me, that's exciting. That's my favorite thing to do in my life. And when we do that, what we find is we taste and we see that the Lord is good, right? And the Lord is good. The Lord is good, and so we need that food. And so we're going to go back to Ezekiel 34. We're going to see what it looks like when shepherds just don't know how to feed their sheep. So Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 4, it says this. "'The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God.' "'Oh, shepherds of Israel, have you been feeding yourselves? Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them.'" So not good, right? This is not good. This is what should not happen. And I don't know about you, but when I read these verses, I think of like modern celebrity pastors, right? Who just want all the followers, all the money, all the cool cakes and clothes and food, and their churches starve. And I've seen this firsthand. I won't share stories, but man, in Denver, we see this all the time. Churches starving while celebrity pastors have their faces on billboards, All the fame, all the glory, all the followers, all the letters behind their name. And they do nothing for the people in their church. Couldn't tell you their names, any of the 10,000 of them. Couldn't tell you what they do for a living. Couldn't tell you if they were hurting or how to solve it. Wouldn't know what direction to point to Jesus. So they don't feed the sheep and they treat them harshly. Just take their money. Just take their money and run. Now for me, the last eight or nine years or so, I've been shepherding the Calvary family of churches and I've led, fed, protected the sheep, the flock. As I mentioned earlier, some of these core values are similar to five stones, edify, protect, encourage, and support. I think it's the same thing, just a slightly different verbiage. But you may be asking yourselves this morning, and I think it's a great question, while James, if you've been in this other church for nine or so years, and you have this philosophy, and you've done things your way, what's going to happen with us? Are you coming here to make this like a church like Denver, right? What what are you going to do here? And the answer is no, that is not why I came here. Yes, I will give everything I have to, to protect you and know you and feed you and lead you, use every bit of wisdom that I've gained to help you guys. But I'm not here to rule you or to impose on you anything. I came here, moved halfway across the country, literally, because of what you have here. I wanted that. You know, God gave me a heart for you guys immediately. What you have here is special. It really is. I felt compelled and called and I've prayed through this. I am here to love you guys and be part of what's going on here because what's here is already important and already special. God is already using you. Your faithfulness is incredible. It's inspiring to me. And so over the next couple of months, one of my priorities, and I've talked to Gordon about this, is to to really learn this church, like the five W's. What does that look like? You know, how do I translate that? you know, through my experience to you guys, what does it look like for us to get on the same page? I already believe we're on the same page, but I am committed to learning Vanguard Bible Church, loving Vanguard Bible Church, not changing this into something else, but just making it be the most Christ-exalting church that it could be. And so for the last part of this sermon, I thought we'd go back and finish verse 28. Such an incredible verse. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. And so we go from the personal to the practical to the theological. Who's ready to get theological? Yes, right? Theolo- theology, man, that's, let's do this. And so um, again, this could be a whole series, but let's just look at three things since we see the Trinity talking about caring for God's church here. Let's look at three things in this verse. First is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers, which means, of, of course, the Holy Spirit, you know, who opened our eyes so that we could see the beauty and necessity of Christ. The Holy Spirit who gifted every one of us with gifts to edify the church this same Holy Spirit now calls those who are elders into their position, which means that the elder position is Holy Spirit-driven, which means that it's God-ordained. So the perfect, loving, holy, beautiful, magnificent, all-wise, omnipotent, omniscient God, God's heart is for you to be shepherded. Do you see that? That's God's heart for you guys. I hope you're encouraged. That's what it says here. All this is about God. Like back in Ezekiel, God getting really mad. It's because he wants his people to be shepherded well. And so here is through his Holy Spirit that he calls and just ignites this and drives this. And second, we are made uh, to be overseers to care care for the church of God, which... And this has been... um, Especially recently, something that's really annoyed me, conversations that I've had with people recently that say that there's no purpose for the church. And maybe you've seen this on Facebook or other places, um, Instagram, where you'll see something that says, God called us to make disciples, not churches. You know, it sounds profound. It sounds like, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, let me think about that. How about no? No that no that's not right so yes part of it's right are we called to be disciples yes we're called to be disciples are we called to make disciples yes we're called to make disciples we're going to do that all over Bakersfield it's coming but there's this whole thing and if you have a bible in your hand you're probably aware of it called the new testament which is about planting churches right planting churches edifying churches building up churches admonishing churches And then Revelation, what happens? Jesus marries a church. So, how is the church a man made institution? How is a pastor just a position that we've made up? It's not. The church belongs to God, and God cares for it, and He has men to care for it. And so, take heart that the church is God's. Vanguard Bible Church, like you belong to God, you belong to God. Purchase like you have no choice even if you don't want to be this morning too bad like you belong to god if you belong to this church which i think is awesome which leads to the third uh, theological point here just in this verse which is it's purchased with his own blood and so among other things here i just love this clear picture of the divinity of jesus right because it says god's blood And so I don't understand, you know, I'm not, I don't know what other churches are in the area, but there's a lot of churches that refute the fact that Jesus is God. And so I love verses like this where it's like, no doubt about it. Yeah, that was God's blood. There's no gray area. God, Jesus is God. And so it is this blood, holy, precious, cosmic, divine, covers our sins, atones for us, takes us from hell, and brings us into the church, like buys us, that blood buys us. And so over my lifetime, and I'm sure you'll learn more about this, I've collected just about everything. I love collecting stuff. Um, And so the bad part of that is people will often text me, send me pictures, and say, hey, how much do you think this is worth? Should I buy this, you know, turn it over? And the first thing I always tell people is, it's worth what somebody will pay for it. That's all anything is worth, is what somebody will pay for it. And I mention that to ask you, how much do you think you are worth in the sight of God? Vanguard Bible Church. God saw it on eBay. How much would he pay for it? Anybody know? We have the answer here, and it is the blood of Christ. That's how much God is willing to pay for for Vanguard Bible Church, for his church universal. Again, I hope that's encouraging. I hope that's... It's overwhelming. And so it has implications for the elder and the shepherd of the church as well, knowing that God cares so much about it that he'd give the most precious currency in the galaxy to buy it. And we already know you don't have to turn back to Ezekiel, but spoiler alert, all those shepherds got fired. God says he fires them. You guys are done. You guys are horrible. You are no longer my shepherds. And so the goal of a shepherd is what Paul says here in Acts 20, 24 through 27. So just before the verse we've been looking at, Paul summarizes his life like this. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry of, that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of grace, the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so my job is to declare to you the whole counsel of God, so that I can stand before God And there's no blood on my hands. So I could stand before God as a shepherd and say, you know, Lord, I did not cheat them. I did not abuse them. I did not steal from them. I laid down my life for them. My hands are clean. And to be a successful shepherd means pointing you guys to Jesus. Because Jesus is the true shepherd. At best, best case scenario, exceeding expectations, I am just an under-shepherd to Jesus. This is Jesus' church. It's Jesus' voice we're going to follow. It's his word that we're going to devour. We're going to lead people to Jesus. And so my job is to prepare us to become more like Christ so we could spend eternity with him. And along the way, along the way, guys, we're going to see if we can't just take the rest of Bakersfield to Jesus with us. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.